0: Sharpen your swords and polish your shields. Because in this episode, we are going to talk about spiritual warfare. Hey everyone. My name is Ray Burns and I want to equip Christians to think biblically about every area of life so that they can keep growing in spiritual maturity. And in this episode, we are continuing our talk about Satan to now bring it back to the Christian side to understand now that we know all this stuff about Satan, how do we do spiritual warfare? what is it supposed to look like what is the christian responsibility the obligation how do we know if we are successful in spiritual warfare to recap where we're at so far we have discussed how satan is a spiritual creature with the same powers and limitations of any angelic being at the very best satan is an archangel uh, and therefore he does not have these almost godlike abilities that we assign to him uh, strongly, strongly recommend you watch the first video in this series to really understand what Satan's powers and limitations are, because, understanding that, we can also realize that he is an ancient enemy who's had thousands of years to learn how humans work. Satan can only be at one place at one time. But that doesn't change the fact that he knows exactly how sinful people tick. Uh, we know that he works with rebellious angelic rulers to create a world that caters to every wicked desire. Again, Satan does not tempt us personally because he doesn't need to. He's got billions of people in the world that he wants to keep bound to sin in love with sin, pursuing worldliness. And that is a system that he has created. He has worked with these angelic beings that we saw are over the nations working alongside them to promote all kinds of secular worldviews of so-called Christian worldviews that distract us to what, what Christianity is really about and things like that. But in the previous episode, we talked about how the end goal of Satan and these angels is, again, they're, they're intelligent beings. They've got, I'm sure, a, a dozen smaller goals but ultimately it seems like their greatest goal is to delay their defeat. They know that they have an end. They know they have an expiration date. It's coming. They can't hold on forever. They, they know that they cannot resist God's will forever. But as we talked last week, it seems like They, if they know that their their defeat is basically sealed, right? Time is up when Jesus Christ fully returns to Earth, then they are going to want to push off to to delay the return of Jesus Christ as long as possible. And as we looked at last week, the return of Jesus Christ seems mostly predicated on whenever the fullness of the Gentiles has come, and we don't know precisely what that means. But as we see how God Opened up the gospel from his, his focus, his calling, his choice being Israel, and opening that to the world around. It seems like the fullness of the Gentiles will happen when God is done saving those Gentiles, those, those non-Jews, those, those non-Israelites in all nations around the world. When God has saved those that he wants to save, then Jesus Christ will return. He will set up his kingdom. He will defeat darkness and wickedness. And finally, we will get to live in a world free from sin, both outside, but also inside. So understanding that though, how does Satan lose? How do his angels lose? Ultimately it's through faithful and mature followers of Jesus Christ spreading the gospel throughout the world. The spread of the gospel seems to be the primary factor of what determines their time because they don't know when Christ is returning. They don't know how much time they have. So delay, 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 that seems to be the idea here. And so how does the gospel spread? Well, it, it can spread through, you know, people who are newly saved and they're spreading the gospel, but primarily we've seen throughout history, the gospel spreads when God saves someone through the blood of Jesus Christ. They grow, they mature, and they then go out and make disciples of people, right? Just like the great commission called, we don't just make converts. We make disciples. We make people who can grow in maturity, grow in wisdom, grow in understanding so that they can live a faithful life for Jesus Christ, making their own disciples. And then they train those disciples in godliness and spiritual maturity so that they can go and make disciples on and on it goes. But the core there, there's two things spreading the gospel and mature Christians being there to do it. And so if they want to delay the coming of Jesus Christ, they can't stop Jesus, right? When Jesus is coming, he's coming, but what they can do is blind the world with worldliness, right? Make the gospel seem foolish, make it seem unnecessary, convince them of their own good, convince them that they don't need Jesus and by neutering Christians, making us so spiritually immature, so distracted with the world, so ineffective that we are not making disciples. Maybe we'll make a convert or two out of our home, but we are not making disciples. We are not growing in spiritual maturity and then calling others to grow in spiritual maturity as we lead them along and ask them to be like us as we seek to be like Jesus. So that is the war that we fight, we are not fighting these little personal battles where Satan's out to get us and we say, "Ah, oh, I rebuke you, Satan, or demons are attacking us. And we go to someone who casts demons out of us or away from us or whatever. That's not spiritual warfare because that's ultimately not what Satan's up to. Satan's not concerned with us as individuals. He is concerned with us as a whole group being blinded, weak and ineffective so that even if we spread the gospel a little bit. We are not changing the world with the gospel and, and, calling people to spiritual maturity. So if that's the war that we fight, if that is what Satan and his angels are fighting against, then that means that that's what we need to be fighting for. We need to be fighting for spiritual maturity. We need to be fighting for faithful Christian living, and we need to be fighting to spread the gospel as missionaries around the world, as people in our communities, even in our own churches, right? calling people to, to understanding the true gospel, because I guarantee if you have a church with more than just one person, someone there is probably not a follower of Jesus Christ, but making disciples in our families, right? We, we need to, however God calls us, wherever we're at in life, we need to be being faithful and mature and then spreading the gospel through whatever means God allows us to have as we serve him. So how do we fight this war? How do we, how do we fight against what Satan and his angels are seeking to do by distracting us with worldliness? Well, the first thing that we need to know is that we fight it as the church. Spiritual warfare is not an individual fight. You're not sitting there alone in your room, alone in the office, alone in the car, just fighting against Satan's attacks against you. You do this as a group of individuals, right? As as universally, as all Christians around the world, but also in your local church community that you are called to, to serve together with. We see in Matthew 16, 18, that this is one of the, the things that Christ established. He said, and I say also to you that you are Peter and upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. So the key here is that... Jesus is establishing his church and the gates of Hades won't overpower it, it being the church. Now here's a key thing is that, is that we, we often view spiritual warfare as, oh man, we are being attacked. The gates of hell are are out to get us and they're attacking us every day and trying to keep us down. Just, just picture in your mind, a gate, how much of a threat is that gate to you, right? If you're standing two feet away from a gate. Unless it goes swinging open and smacks you in the face, that gate is no threat to you. But if you are on the attack, right? And especially remembering the context that this was written in and spoken in. Gates, especially in that time, were the fortifications. They held back an opposing army. We are, as a church, on the attack with the gospel. The gates of hell, the gates of Hades... It's trying to stand against us. It's trying to stop us from, from essentially serving Jesus Christ and being his tools to rescue souls who are rightfully under the condemnation of God, but that Jesus Christ still wants to save right we are attacking a world of darkness that is ruled by satan and his angels we are fighting against worldliness in all kinds of ways whether clearly anti-god or things that seem just christian enough that we can just sit and be content to just live our lives and check our boxes we are in a in a war against worldliness but against the church when we are living together in community with other faithful believers, being invested into through discipleship, investing in others through discipleship, calling one another to faithfulness, not just being content with a little shallow, hi, how you doing Sunday mornings, but truly living and serving together, then we as a church are on the attack. We are leading the offensive in this spiritual war against worldliness and a world that hates the gospel. They hate Jesus Christ, who he is, what he did and what he calls the world to in terms of repentance. That is the, the start of spiritual warfare is as a church attacking the gates that have no chance of standing up to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Next, we fight this war by surrendering our lives to Jesus Christ. Now we're gonna look at Ephesians 6, which we've looked at previously, uh, the very famous passage about uh, you know, the armor of God and things like that. But we've seen this slightly differently, right? We, I think it was the previous video, we talked about Roman warfare and how Roman warfare wasn't a one-on-one battle with a lone archer on the battlefield. It was soldiers linked together, shield to shield, repelling arrows that were fired not as personal attacks, right? But as a whole arrow volley, hundreds, thousands of arrows raining down with no particular target in mind, but knowing that with enough arrows, with enough worldly options out there, something's going to hit. So let's look at what Ephesians 6 10 to 20 is really showing us about spiritual warfare so it says uh, starting in verse 10 finally be strong in the lord and in the might of his strength put on the full armor of god so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil now remember we want to be very careful not to think that these schemes of the devil are just these one-on-one tricks and, and shenanigans that he's getting up to trying to attack us we see here what his schemes really are for our struggle right our struggle against these schemes is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So what is it that we are fighting? Let's take, let's take a pause here because Ephesians can get a little, a little chunky sometimes. So what is it that we are fighting? Well, as we read, the, the start of this passage, it says that we're fighting against Satan's schemes that he carries out through authorities in the heavenly places, right? Look at that, that text there. We need to put on the armor of God to stand against the schemes of the devil. What is our struggle with? What is our war? Where is that spiritual war? It's not against world forces, but it's not also against one person, right? It's this authority, this territory language, rulers, authorities, world forces, spiritual forces in the heavenly places. Those are what Satan's schemes come through, right? It's not these one-on-one attacks. It's this full arrow volley of attacks that comes at us. And these attacks again, are not whispered lies, which we've never seen evidence that Satan can do. It's not these, you know, one-on-one, you know, striking our bodies with sicknesses and things like that, or whatever we want to blame on Satan. It's worldliness. It's the constant pull to distraction in our lives. It's the constant pull to staying spiritually immature, to finding our identity in something else, to doing anything other than what we saw is our primary goal in life, being faithful and mature Christians who spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what we're fighting against we are fighting worldliness we are fighting the distractions that want to pull us apart pull us away delay us weaken us anything to delay the coming of jesus christ after the gospel has spread as much as god has desired it to spread so going on it says therefore now I'll say this in so many videos, but I'll say it again here. When we see therefore in the Bible, we need to ask, what is the therefore, therefore? And other, because therefore is a very important word that says, because of the truth we just said, because of of what I just stated, because of what we now understand, now do this, now understand this. So if you read that previous one, it said we fight against the, 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 this, these worldly forces, these spiritual forces, and it's clarified that they attack us with worldliness with distractions, right? So because we are fighting against the schemes of the devil and the worldliness that he spreads around the world, therefore, because that's true, because that's what we're fighting, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. So pay very clear attention to the, the weapons of our warfare, the equipment that we take into battle. And listen very carefully to what it's really saying, what these things look like in the Christian life. So uh, gird your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the pres- with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, having taken up the shield of faith, with which you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And remember, he doesn't do one-on-one attacks, right? These flaming arrows in Roman warfare were just just indiscriminate volleys of arrows, right? Just arrow after arrow shot into a kill zone, knowing that eventually something's going to hit someone. So extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Also receive the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God praying at all times with all prayer and petition in the spirit and to this end being on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints as well as on my behalf that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Look at the culmination of what this war looks like, making known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, so that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So again, Ephesians chapter six, verses 10 to 20, it starts out by telling us that we fight against Satan's schemes carried out through these ruling authorities. These schemes, as we've talked about in previous episodes, are a distraction with worldliness, right? It's this constant arrow bombardment of, of enticing us to sin as James one talks about, right? Of, of us being responsible for our sin, us desiring these things, but Satan essentially setting out almost like a buffet, right? Knowing that with the right food, with the right presentation, there is something for every single one of us out there to pull us away from holiness and to pull us towards distraction, to pull us towards worldliness that is what we fight against but how how do we fight against satan's schemes of worldliness again read through the the armor of god and what paul is calling to and look at the the things that are present we use truth we have righteousness we use the gospel we live by faith we have our salvation we use the bible we We take good full advantage of prayer, finding the value of it. We stay alert. We have perseverance and we speak gospel truth. So getting rid of kind of the, the cool pictures and the understandings we have, just looking at a bare bones list of what this warfare looks like. What does it look like to do spiritual warfare? Ultimately we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ. We seek the truth, we live the truth, and then we speak that truth into the world. That is what the armor of God is. As we are being bombarded as a church with all the worldly distractions of Satan and his angels, right? This whole world system set up to blind others and make Christians ineffective. We, as a church, we link shields. We defend against all these attacks of worldliness, right? We protect one another. We live by faith. We seek the truth. We understand what it is. We fight against these things, not with casting out demons or or trying really hard or things like that. We fight with the Bible. And as we're doing that, as we are marching into this world, as we are attacking these gates, as we are withstanding these worldly attacks, we speak the truth into the world. We give the gospel because that is our goal. We live for Jesus. We grow in maturity. We live faithful lives, but we don't just sit there in our isolated little bubbles, we live as a church and we give the gospel as a church. That is what this warfare looks like. So we live these lives, surrender to Jesus Christ. But part of fighting this war is also that we have to have good theology. We have to have right beliefs, right understanding so that we know what we're doing so that we know our marching orders so that we can identify worldliness and identify godliness and not get the two confused. So look at what second Corinthians chapter 10, verses three to six say. For, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Again, pick up that warfare language. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for tearing down of strongholds. Again, strongholds, gates, same same language as we tear down speculations and every lofty thing raised against the knowledge of God. Now look at that. What are these strongholds? What are these things we are attacking? It is belief systems. It's understandings. It's false knowledge, false beliefs. We are tearing down speculations, things that people believe are true. People's opinions or, or, or false worldviews of what is real and true. We tear down every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. What is that? That is ungodly worldviews. We have the knowledge of God and then we have everything else that is opposed to the knowledge of God, the understanding of God, a right understanding of God is what we are fighting for. But the world wants us to have a wrong understanding of God, making us believe he's not real, that he doesn't care, that he doesn't want us to be unhappy and things like that. And. What else do we do in this warfare? What else does this fighting look like? We take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Our thought life, our thinking process, what we believe, what we fill our minds with, what we trust to be true. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is fulfilled. Now I said that this is all about having good theology. What do I mean by that? Well, right now I've got a, a small three-part series going on about what theology really is and ultimately theology boils down not to just a bunch of dry emotionless facts, but instead studying God's Word so that we can see what God has revealed about Himself, about humanity, and about the world around us so that with the purpose of living for Jesus, of growing in spiritual maturity and living the life that he calls us to. And that is what second Corinthians 10, three through six is talking about. It's saying that we are fighting a battle of worldviews of what people believe is true. And we do it by taking our thoughts captive to obedience right to faithful living, to spiritual maturity, to having the right thinking because our thinking, our beliefs, what we argue is true is rooted firmly in God's word. Not what our pastor has said, not what our parents said, not what our denomination says, not what the world tells us, but what God's word truly reveals because God is our source of truth. And we take that truth and we fight against everything else in the world. That wants to go against that knowledge of God, against what is true. But Christian, you cannot do it if your Bible just sits there, if you don't study, if you don't want to grow, if you are so distracted with worldliness, then you are part of Satan's victory in delaying Jesus long enough because you are not going to be caring about the gospel. You're not going to be caring about spiritual maturity. You're not going to care about growth. You're not going to know what truth is. Most likely, especially in the age we live in, where people are just constantly clicking share and just throwing out their opinions all the time. If we don't know the truth of God, then we are going to be responsible for spreading false beliefs. We are going to be part of the problem. We are going to be what other Christians have to fight against as they are fighting against these, these speculations and lofty things raised up against the knowledge of God. We have to love the truth because we love God and God has given us truth. One of the best ways for us to love him is to not just know what the Bible says, but to know it because we want to live it out. We want to be successful in this spiritual warfare because we know, we see it's so clear that our battle is as a church. We surrender our lives to Jesus Christ. We fight, we know what's true so that we can fight for what's true so that we can live effective lives for Jesus Christ to do the one thing in this world that God wants us to do, which is to be spiritually mature Christians who spread the gospel to those who need to hear it. And that's the last part of fighting this war, or maybe the first part of fighting this war is that we have to share the gospel. That is what is going to bring about the end of Satan and his angels. And therefore that is one of the primary things that we want to be our motivation that we want to care about is knowing the gospel so that we can share the gospel in whatever means God has called us to in our lives. Look at second Corinthians chapter four, verses three to six. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In whose case the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. This is what we're dealing with. Satan has blinded people to the reality of the gospel so that they can't see the light of it. They can't see the truth. They can't see their need for it. Why would he do that? It's not just because, oh, he just wants to, you know, ruin God's perfect plan and things like that, but because he knows the end result of God's perfect plan. He knows that when God's plan is fully carried out, his end is there. He and his angels are going to be going to the lake of fire. They know it's inevitable. Therefore he has blinded the minds of people so that they would not see it because the gospel is the primary threat to Satan's plans. And that's why I said that's this two-part issue here, is that he needs us spiritually immature so we can't spread the gospel. And he also wants people to be so content that even if they hear the gospel, even if they run across a spiritually mature Christian who takes this spiritual warfare seriously, they can say, I'm fine. I don't need that. I'm good enough. I hope for the best. I was baptized as a baby. I don't believe that mumbo jumbo. I'm not some weird superstitious guy who needs a flying spaghetti monster to save them. Satan has blinded them so that even if we withstand his arrows, the rest of the world is still blinded by that worldliness. Now in second Corinthians, Paul goes on and says, for we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. Again, it's not about us. It's not about our opinions, our thoughts. It's about what we know is true because we know the truth of God through good theology, through good study and understanding and ourselves as your slaves for the sake of Jesus. We are God's tool in this plan. We are slaves to Jesus Christ. We are not our own. We are bought with a price. Galatians two twenty. It's not us who lives, but Christ who lives in us. And then he goes on to say for God, who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So we are God's tools to spreading the gospel. Satan has blinded people. And so we go into the world. We don't give them our opinions. We don't say, Hey, here's the political talking points that you need to believe. You know, here is how you can be acceptable is to, to check these boxes, to just go to church, to pray this prayer, to get baptized. You know, Satan has blinded us to this. You know, not, we don't need God or there's easy believism or God wants us to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous, or God just wants us to be happy, or God just wants us to be who we are, or we just don't even consider, we don't factor God into our identity or our goals in life or the things that we think and do and desire. That is all a part of Satan's plan because that is all influenced by worldliness. Satan is blind to them, but we fight against that by being tools of God who act as light shining into the darkness as those who have the truth of God and bring it to those who are blinded, who can't see, who live in darkness and think that they are completely content. They sit in the mud, they sit in the filth, they think, oh, everything is great. Nothing could possibly be better than the life I live now. Because if we, if we are living for this life, whether they are unbelievers who will die in their sins or whether we are Christians today, and we think I just have to pursue happiness today, we are part of the problem. We are receiving the attacks. We are lowering our shield. We are not protecting ourselves. And we're also not protecting those with around us that God calls us to, to protect as well with truth with knowledge, with good theology and understanding. So what is spiritual warfare for Christians? What is real, true, genuine spiritual warfare? As a church, it's God's people living out their purpose in the world. We surrender our lives to Jesus, grow in theology, and keep sharing the gospel in a world designed to hate it. That is what spiritual warfare is really all about all this stuff, all this sensationalism, all this fear mongering, all this other stuff that distracts us is not what God has revealed. God has revealed that spiritual warfare is a battle of worldviews. It's a battle of beliefs. It's about what the world believes as they fall in line with Satan and his angels. Versus what God has revealed as true in his word. So Christian, if you want to engage in spiritual warfare and you should, because we have to, we are, we are in a war. It's whether we are an effective soldier or whether we are a liability, whether we are standing in the way and allowing Satan's schemes, his plans, his attacks whether we allow them to keep hitting, whether we allow them to keep being effective, if you want to do good spiritual warfare, then you have to be a part of a body of believers because that is what Christ has called us to. I don't like people either. I don't like being social. I don't like being in group settings, but it's not about what I want. It's not about my preferences. It's about what Jesus Christ calls us to as we serve him. We will do what he desires, even if it goes against what makes us comfortable. So we engage in spiritual warfare as a church shields linked. We grow in spiritual maturity, right? We surrender our lives to Jesus. We surrender our preferences. We surrender our goals. We surrender our very identity to him because we know that he is greater than anything else that we believe is true because anything that we believe apart from Jesus is a belief that is grounded in worldliness and there is no truth to be found there and as we do that as we surrender our lives we're going to grow in theology we're going to study we're going to learn we're going to challenge ourselves we're going to ask questions we're going to learn how to read our bible we're going to learn how to let god be our authority more than anything else more than our opinions more than our emotions more than our experiences and our traditions God alone, through his word, is going to be our authority, and therefore, we are going to surrender our minds to Jesus Christ. We're going to fight against false beliefs and understandings. And in the midst of all that, we are going to understand that the gospel is the only reason that we were able to be transformed by the Holy Spirit that without God's intervention, without him working in us, we have no hope of thinking well. We have no hope of caring about the things of Jesus. It is purely through someone serving faithfully and giving us the gospel that we understood Jesus Christ's call to repent and surrender and put our full faith and trust in him. And because we know that that was so necessary for us, we are going to give that gospel to others. It could be in huge ways you know we could travel the world we could go to speaking conferences you could be a pastor you could just be a parent with your little social bubble where people know the reality of the gospel your kids your spouse they know the gospel and even if you don't make a big splash even if you don't see the fruits of your labor you know that you are serving faithfully that you are playing The part that god has called you to in faithfully serving and in growing in maturity and sharing the gospel and wherever god has you right now that is spiritual warfare and it is much harder it is much more painful than anything else we may have probably assumed spiritual warfare really was it's not a sensational people aren't gonna make movies about someone who read their Bible and prayed and just loved God and loved people because of their love for God. But it's not about the flash. It's not about the Hollywood stuff. It's about what God has called us to. It's about what he has revealed in his word. So understanding Satan, understanding his plans, understanding why he does what he does. I hope that spiritual warfare makes a lot more sense to you now. Ultimately, my desire my prayer for myself, for you listening, is that you will take this seriously and keep surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. To not just be afraid of Satan, not just keep blaming stuff on Satan, but understanding your role in temptation, your role in your sin, so that you can surrender that to Jesus as well, that you can have that part of your mind and your worldview surrendered, so that you can keep growing in spiritual maturity, so that you can keep moving onward in your faith toward maturity in Christ. You may have heard that line before if you've been here. So that is spiritual warfare. That's not the end of this series. Um, That is kind of a a big view, a big idea of what spiritual warfare looks like. Next time, we are going to um, get really close to wrapping this series up, and we're gonna talk about uh, some practical steps, some some practical ways that we can live for Jesus in Satan's world and then i think that will be the end of the bigger discussions and i will tackle some of the burning questions you've had about that bible verse or that other bible verse and things like that so if you have found value in this video make sure you like it Uh, make sure you watch it again to be encouraged and uh, hopefully be challenged to uh, just really live for your savior Uh, Make sure you subscribe to the channel so that you don't miss more content like this. Share it with others. Share the series with others. Um, I really think it can be transformative for every follower of Christ. Um, If you appreciate and value what I'm doing through this ministry, then check the link down in the show notes uh, to go to patreon.com slash onwardinthefaith. And that is where you can just support me every month to help pay for expenses, to help me be able to... um, basically justify the time that goes into making videos and the study and stuff involved in this, um, ultimately with the desire that, uh, you can help me just serve God more through Onward in the Faith. So with that being said, I will see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Onward in the Faith. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and visit onwardinthefaith.com, where you can read hundreds of articles about every area of the Christian life. If this ministry is a blessing to you, there are three ways that you can support it you can pray for Ray and Onward in the Faith itself. You can share this episode with others, or you can help with various expenses by visiting patreon.com slash faith or following the link in the show notes. We hope this episode has encouraged you to keep moving onward in your faith towards maturity in Christ.